supersonic. Welcome to Supersonic Hospitality Marketing with me, Mark McSee, where we meet the most interesting people in hospitality, marketing, business, and beyond to hear tips, tricks, and tales to help your brand boom. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. Hey there, my name is Paul Barron. I'm the founder of I Am Donna. We are the restaurant chain on a mission to revolutionize the kebab. In 2016, we opened our first site in Leeds with massive ambitions to go global. But first, we needed a change. Being a chef, I've always been a bit skeptical about being pushed down the technological route. But what it's done for labor and customer service has completely changed the game for us. We partnered with Vita Mojo to introduce their all-in-one restaurant platform. We now take 100% of our orders digitally through kiosks, click and collect, and delivery channels. We've waved goodbye to the manual processing of delivery orders as we now have all our delivery partners integrated through VitaMojo. We only need to do one menu push when updating menus across all platforms. Orders from all channels come into one screen in the kitchen, making the operation faster and more efficient. The throughput is four times faster, and we've seen a 35% increase in ATV. Our partnership with VitaMojo has transformed I am Donna. It's a massive part of our revolution. Find out more at vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. Hi, just before we get into the show proper, I had a message from our silver sponsors, Creventa. I was at an awards ceremony the other evening in London and it was fabulous, but I'm now, due to some health issues, a painful guest to invite. I'm now alcohol-free, dairy-free, gluten-free and many, many other things. And that means that when you're going to an event, you can feel a bit of shame as a guest when you are responding to someone that's collating all the menu requests because you don't want to give them too much hassle. And just thinking about it, actually using something like creventa.com would have made it a far better experience for me and for the team that were collating hundreds and hundreds of menu requirements and also thinking about them passing that on to the chefs, the venue, the waiters, the teams over there to make sure that the guest gets exactly what they need and they have the experience that they want. So if you're hosting any corporate events or indeed your venue hosts many, many of these parties, weddings, celebrations, I would really, really recommend getting in touch with Creventa.com. Creventa really is the answer to all of your problems as they have a seamless system that lets you email or text all guests individually to then get them to pre-order their food and drink plus create your table plan with their drag and drop system ensure that all the details and payments are correct plus it really feels great when you get to the table and there's a super clear menu table name placement there which then says everything that you're going to be eating and flags at a glance 
any allergens or guest dietary requirements that you might have. Creventa helps your guests have the best experience which will be long remembered, which means great word of mouth and great repeat business. You'll get booked again and again and again. It will give you huge benefits as a host or as a venue and from as little as £99 per month per venue, you really have a seamless experience at your fingertips. With Creventa, you'll not only save time, money, staff, resource and omit any human errors because we can do that sometimes, you'll also help the planet by reducing food waste by around 18% which is massive. So if you host, hold or run events, you need Creventa. Just go to creventa.com now to experience the future of seamless event hosting. So today we're in a very windy Brighton and unfortunately we've just had a big fire at one of the hotels, the Royal Albion. Terrible scenes there as people will have lost their livelihood, uh, some people will have lost their rooms, I think they maybe had some people living there longer term also, so they've lost their homes and of course all of the firefighters and emergency services keeping us all safe on the seafront. It's just devastating when you see things like this and the main thing to come out of these types of situations is just the spirit of hospitality and that today is what we're celebrating on the podcast, talking to the spirit of hospitality champions which is Chris Mitchell and Robbie Laidlaw, also of the Genuine Dining and Genuine Group of Companies. During Covid, like most of us, they had a pretty rough time where they had to lay off staff, they were very worried about the business longer term and when you're a contract caterer serving hospitality and giving hospitality in places of work then it's almost a double disaster because people aren't coming into the office and that's the only customers that you really have. So the guys are super positive as is the company and what they decided to do when they noticed they were really struggling with mental health, they were struggling with the stresses and strains of trying to keep the business alive and also keep people employed, that they decided to really do something big, audacious and outside of their daily routine. Chris and Robbie set themselves an amazing challenge and that was to row across the Atlantic and they're doing it in December and January of this year coming. So December this year coming and January 2024. The expedition or the trip or the adventure, challenge, whatever you want to call it, is in the spirit of hospitality and in the spirit of helping people. All of the money raised where you can sponsor by going to Spirit of Hospitality on Instagram, go on to their bio and you can get in touch either as a corporate sponsor or just as a punter, you can give them some money and also if you can share the thought and the link amongst all of your network, that would be really, really appreciated. So the challenge across the Atlantic with the spirit of hospitality is aimed to raise £250,000 and that's all going to hospitality action and that's to help people, no matter the situation that they're in, whatever their need is, hospitality action is always there to help people physically, financially, 
and also mentally. It's one of the greatest support systems that we have in hospitality. So we joined the episode talking to the guys about their jobs, their careers, how they fell into hospitality, which is becoming such a phrase that I think I'd like to use in some advertising at some point. And then we swiftly move on to talking about this huge adventure across the Atlantic to not only raise £250,000 and more, hopefully, but also raise awareness about how great it is to be part of hospitality in general. So it gives me the most awesome pleasure ever, sorry, to introduce my next guests who are Chris Mitchell, Director at Genuine Group of Companies, Robbie Laidlaw, Business Development Director at the Genuine Dining Co, aka, they'll get us a Prince spin on their titles, also known as the Spirit of Hospitality. Hello. Hello. Is that correct? Was that factually correct? Uh, yeah. Brilliant. Couldn't have done it better myself, Mark. <laughs> you probably could have. I should I should be better at this by now. <laughs> but yeah, well, listen, I'm so glad that we've managed to catch up. And we have known each other, I guess, a long time, but just never really spent any time together. Chris, you know, we've sort of yep. swapped emails and different bits and bobs. Um, but luckily enough, I bumped into you both at um, the People Summit for the Caterer. And your presentation was just so exciting and compelling. It was it was fantastic. It was presentation today, I think it was excellent. And was just so keen to hear what it was that you were doing. A to let more people know, but B, I've got another agenda as well, which is I just wanted to hear about your careers. And I mean, you guys are so passionate about people working in hospitality anyway. So it might be a good idea then just to introduce yourselves proper. So, Chris, did you want to go first? Yeah, sure. Um, my name's Chris Mitchell. I am um, the CEO, if you like, of Group Genuine. So we're a collection of businesses with hospitality um, that runs runs through all of them. So you know, best people, best food, having the most fun, and yeah, we're we're passionate about building positive cultures and retaining talent and bringing great people into our sector. Great. And what about you, Robbie? Um, well, I am the business development director of Genuine Dining, so my job is to grow the business in the right way, and it's not just growing the business and adding new contracts to our impressive client list, it's, it's, it's there to um, give new opportunities to people, so with growth and new opportunities in the business, we can succeed our people, it creates new opportunities, allows us to grow, allows our people to grow, allows them to train and develop. And uh, that's what I look after. Great. And I think, you know, what I love about businesses like yours, and we will talk about what exactly it is in a set, is, you know, just in terms of the the world that you're living in, it, you know, a lot of companies do it badly and a lot of companies do it boringly. Um, and I think what was so pleasing, you know, just seeing when I was researching for the show, um, although it doesn't sound like it, um, was, you know, looking through your websites and your collateral and, you know, your marketing and things like that. And you could just see, you know, excuse the pun and all that, but there was just a genuine passion for people um, and looking after them well in hospitality. And that goes both ways in terms of the customers and the guests that you have, but also um, the great team that you have. So just talking about uh, the Genuine Dining Co and group of companies, um, just for anyone that doesn't know, what is it that you do? Yeah, sure. Um, so Genuine Dining is 
a contract caterer. There has to be a better name for our sector because it sounds awful. Um, genuine dining feeds people at work. It's as simple as that from executive dining in boardrooms to coffee shops and grab and go like it. So we do everything within people's workplaces. Really simple. Um, there's some other businesses that we have alongside that. Um, the Admirable Crichton, which is an events business. Uh, they run events. Um, so they do a lot of events for high net worth individuals as well as big corporate events and stuff for the royal family. Um, Signature Dining, which is a business that supplies high-end feeding to care homes. Amplify, which is a front-of-house reception business. Um, and I think that's it, is that it? That's it. Yeah, well done. Uh, I know, I know <laughs> it sounds like enough. Work, yeah. Uh, but there's a very common theme for all of those and it is about having the best people uh delivering great hospitality and you know building cultures within our workplace where people feel able to you know have a career and feel listened to and you know as robbie just said it's about for us it's about growing the business so that we're able to give people succession um and that's a big part of what we do retaining talent and you know giving people opportunities to to grow within our within our business and how did you become attracted to this business? And it'd be good to obviously then go backwards about how you got to where you got to. But thinking about you, Chris, you've done a lot of things, um, a lot of really cool things. So, you know, what attracted you to it? And then going backwards, what, you know, how how did you, what was the hop, hop skip yeah. and jump to get there? What attracted me to contract catering? I mean, it's the million dollar question, isn't it? Because it's not the most, on the surface, it's not the most glamorous part the hospitality sector um i think that my my background was much more um high street retail um had some other businesses before and i had a friend that, that had a business called couture um and when i sold one of the businesses he said would you come and do some consulting for me and uh i i did and i, I became his ops director and i just loved the way that number one the business was scalable number two i thought that not so much couture, but the competitors, there wasn't that much competition. I think that it's an industry that can be a bit stagnant, mm. um, not that many good ideas. Um, and I just I just thought that there was a real possibility of making a contract catering business that was a bit more exciting um, and followed trends a bit more, really. Um, and also, I, I felt like there was a, you know, it was a great place to work. You know, Monday to Friday mainly we do we do have some weekends, but on the whole it's Monday to Friday, and I think that is very attractive for people to come work in. Um, but I love it. You know, I I love the places that we work and the things that we get to see. That they're, they're unlike any other industry. Going into you know big corporates and understanding the way their business work and looking at different cultures in different businesses, from law firms to media to marketing. It's just a very it's, we get a very interesting view of how other businesses work and I just yeah I I, I think it was just uh when I, mean, I kind of to be honest I kind of fell into it that that's mm. the bottom line but when I got there I realized that there was a real opportunity to develop something special and I think we've done that yeah I think the the challenge to be a trailblazer in a you know as you say you know an industry that you know isn't seen at least from the outside as um you know sort of trailblazing in in, in many ways that is really exciting, isn't it? To be the sort of the yeah. apple of that sector is quite exciting. So yeah, 
And what about you, Robbie? You know, where did you sort of spring from to then get into this? Um, where did I spring from? It's quite good because uh, Chris and I met when I was working at Springboard. The oh, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like you knew. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah, my background has always been hospitality. I ran uh, an events company in Edinburgh for many years before moving down to London and started working for Springboard. And we organised in London the Paris bike rides that uh, Chris and the Genuine Dining guys organised way, way, way back in the day. We raised a lot of money for Springboard. It was one of our um, biggest events. So we worked on that event. And um, when Genuine Dining were moving their office from... Um, from outside of London and Uxbridge, uh, to, to central London to focus on growth. Um, I found the opportunity and met Danielle, the marketing director, and Chris, and it's gone from there. And that was that was five years ago. So, know, During a pandemic feel, as well. I feel incredibly yeah. under um, underqualified for the job that I'm in, but it's not because I don't necessarily have a Operation yeah. can't do anything like that. It's a people business, right? It's all about it's all about relationships, it's all about getting to know people. It's about understanding where the opportunities are to grow our people. And I think I think that's where we give done well. Yeah, the trick is just a wee bit of advice. You never tell anyone that you're busking it, right? <laughs> We're all busking it. <laughs> so don't worry about that. You'll be fine. <laughs> exactly. Oh yeah. <laughs> So then just in terms of, you know, what one of the big um sort of things you were talking about in the uh the, the speech, you know, at the at the People Summit for the Caterer was, you know, about um the pandemic and what happened there. So what did you see there? What what happened um, you know, from your point of view? Because it's a very, very different set of circumstances for you when offices shut, hybrid working, you know, all these things. What what happened there? Um, I mean, it was different. I mean, we had a business that had always grown, and you know, going back to that people piece, we were always looking for talent um, and looking to develop our talent. And as we won a new job um, or a new contract, it was always important to us to look at our existing business and work out where we had talent to be able to um, put into that new piece of business to deliver the consistency that we needed. Uh, and it was the first time in what was it about then ten years uh, that we had this issue of having too many people, um, and obviously it all happened incredibly quickly. Um, we had to make two hundred and fifty people redundant, um, and the, you know it was a really dark time um, for, for everyone involved, really. And every I think the same for every business. I think contract catering. Um, took the brunt pretty hard um, with offices closing. There was, our clients have been very difficult positions where they just didn't need a catering service or if they did have a catering service, it was wound back to, you know, coffee and a delivered service or, you know, that they didn't need the vast amount of people that they had. Um, so case by case, we had to deal with our clients and work out how we could restructure the business. Um, and yeah, it was tough. It was horrible. You know, we pride ourselves in the people that we have um, always have done so losing 250 great people was obviously a massive challenge and I think the worst part about that was that we knew that our people that were being made redundant were the people that were least able to afford 
to be made redundant, if you like. So they were the lower paid people. They were our baristas. They were our junior chefs. They were um, front of house managers, as well as, you know, everywhere. But the bulk of people were the lower paid. Um, obviously, we paid very well. But still, yeah. we also found out that these people were tend to be living in larger shared houses in London. So they had no space. Um, they were living in sort of boxes with a lot of people and mentally that was a really difficult position for them to be in and for us to put them in. So one of the things that we did was reached out to Hospitality Action very early on. Candy, our head of people, had had, had already built a strong relationship with them um, and they were fantastic at helping those people that needed it. And it wasn't just financial support. In fact, I think financial support was the easier bit to resolve. It was the mental support that they needed in terms of counselling and, you know, being able to get over the the mental barriers of not being able to afford to pay their rent or anything else. Um, so that, that, that was the link between hospitality action, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a bit. I think that um, our business shrank to about 10% of its normal turnover. So... Um, it was, you know, from building a business over 10 years to it being basically completely collapsed mentally was incredibly challenging. Um, and I think all the, well, everyone in the business suffered re- relative stress through that period. And it was just really tough. Um, you know, we were very lucky that our, our, all of our clients were very supportive. Um, we didn't lose many clients, which I know some caterers did. And, you know, that's back down to those strong relationships that we built. But it was, yeah, it was horrible. I mean, it was mentally really a really tough period. And I'm glad that we're into more normal times now. Mm. And one of the, one of the, we were very lucky that because we kept such a good relationship with those 250 staff that have been made redundant, that when we reopened in August uh, of 2020, I'm trying to think what it was, 2021. One, yeah. yeah. Uh, we obviously, first thing we did was reach out to all those people. And I think, I, I can't remember the exact number, but I think 170 of those people came back. Brilliant. So we did, we did, you know, number one, it was really nice that they trusted us enough to come back and work for us and wanted to work for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but number two, it just, uh, it made our life a lot easier as well. So, that, you know, it was, it was a win-win really. Um, and a lot of, you know, a lot of those people are obviously still with us now. So that's good. But it was horrible. I mean, it was grim. And the whole thing was just a very difficult um time when our whole business had been about looking after our people investing in our people the culture of our people um so yeah it was pretty grim and what have the learnings been coming out of the pandemic you know what is it that you would do differently and you know what what have you taken from it any positives i mean there's loads of positives i think that the one thing that we found one of the biggest positives is that coming out of covid i think that our business and industry clients are looking to do things differently. They know they need to get people back into their offices to build culture. And therefore, we, Robbie, I should say, had a had a good couple of years of rebuilding the business with clients that wanted to look at things differently. Um, arguably, those clients wouldn't have looked at a smaller business um, before COVID. I think it was much easier for them to stay with what they had so that there was a big churn in the industry. Mm-hmm. I think that from a people point of view, um, the learnings are, I mean, they're vast, but uh, it's, it was such a steep learning curve. 
that of course there was learnings from it but i think the biggest learning is please don't let that happen again i mean it was just uh you know it, it it was i don't know if we would have done anything differently i think we handled it relatively well um you know i think that candy our head of people was fantastic uh with looking after the mental health of our people so no i don't think i would have done anything differently i think we got it right um I mean, I'm sure there was mistakes in there along the way, but nothing that I don't think there was anything that I would have done differently in that period. And what about you, Robbie? How did your world change? Because obviously, if you're the go-getter, growing the thing, and then you know a big nasty bug comes along, um, <laughs> how how did you, you know, focus your time and efforts? What were you up to? Um, well, I was one of those people that was stuck in a little box. Mm-hmm. Um, two bedroom flat in Brixton with no garden, nowhere to get out. So um, my mental health took a bit of a beating, I have to say. There was one point where I just didn't want it, not, I, was, I wasn't getting on the tube, not because I was scared of COVID, but I just felt like my anxiety wouldn't let me go underground. It was weird. Mm. So um, mentally it was tough. When the, obviously the environment where we were was incredibly tough. And when um, we did eventually get the office back open, we went back but it was a very different place to work it wasn't so much focusing on growth it was more focusing on attention making sure that our existing clients had everything that they possibly needed and to utilizing our staff to the best of their ability moving a lot of people from units where they were closed into our production kitchen so we could facilitate deliveries deliveries into offices deliveries into homes and coming up with innovative ideas of how we can utilize our resources our production kitchen to help people at home so if you're having a team meeting, let's deliver some food into people's houses. They can all they can all collaborate over the food that we've delivered into their homes and just coming up with ways in which we can keep moving, keep the business moving, keep operating, keep our people occupied and keep them busy while also um, having to unfortunately close down parts of the business. Um, but I think we were always looking at the next thing. We were always looking at ways in which we could... Uh, develop and that's definitely helped us as everything opened back up we were incredibly fast reacting being an independent business when um, our clients did want to open their doors we were we were ready to go and um business development we picked up the new clients that needed new caterers that were there and ready so um a positive came out of a tough period for sure and then just thinking about, you know, all the challenges that you have in your business, you know, it's like a pretty tough time to work in hospitality for a myriad of reasons. Um, just thinking about staffing, though, um, how's that going, you know, in terms of staff shortages, attracting them to contract catering, attracting them to you, more importantly? Um, how are you finding all that? I mean, no one believes me when I say that we've we've had a pretty good ride with people. Um, we don't have loads of vacancies. Um, where we struggle is the lower level staff that we're bringing in to start their journey with the group. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that that sort of strategy of succession planning has meant that we have held on to a lot of senior managers, great great contract managers, um, and they you know they haven't been swayed by the bright lights of a bigger caterer so we, we've actually done really well we had um at the end of covid we employed a new group exec chef a guy called dan house who used to work for marcus Waring, and his whole background was restaurants and we've had some real success getting the high-end restaurant chefs into bni mm-hmm. which 
has been great because from a hospitality sort of output, our quality has gone up since COVID. Um, but Dan has done a great job at inspiring number one, our chefs that wanted to learn more about that side of the business. And yeah, number two, bringing in really renowned, great restaurant chefs that he's worked with in the past and people that know of him. So we've, we've done very well there. And I think, you know, one of the things coming out of COVID that everyone in our sector was very, was probably positive was their work-life balance changed completely to being all home. Um, and I think if they can get that balance back by coming to work for a contract caterer, still delivering fantastic quality food, um, but get the weekend three, that's been a really big help for us. But yeah, I, I think um, it is a struggle. You know, we are, we have worked really hard on our people strategy, but we don't seem to be having the same issues that a number of our competitors and other sectors are having. And what about trends in the workplace? You know, just before we move on to yeah. some uh, rowing stuff, um, what's happening, um, you know, in, in the workplace? What are customers demanding? Um, you know, what sort of bestsellers are you seeing? You know, is there a change in how people are consuming food and day parting and all that? What's, what's, the, what's the world like out there? Do that, Robbie. You can sell it. <laughs> sure. Um, well, I think everyone is experiencing the same. So, um, quieter on a Monday and a Friday, busier on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. But to be honest, Monday is nowhere near as quiet as everyone is making out them to be. Yeah. Monday is um, certainly getting a lot busier. We're seeing more people coming in for uh, team meetings. So, hospitality levels have certainly gone up. And then when people are actually coming into the office, be it three, two, three days, whatever they want to come in, they're spending more. So whereas maybe they saw their catering as a bit of a staff benefit before, it's now much more of an experience. So they're meeting up with people, they're coming down for lunch and they're utilising their services. So um, it's not just you can't just do fish on a Friday anymore. It has to be much more experience led. So we've launched a couple of new um, brands within Genuine Dining, GenFest, Gen Experience, where um, we've got teams of people going around our client sites delivering things like sushi pop-ups and um, street food pop-ups and lots of fun things come into the office and experience. So um, when you're actually coming in, you're coming into that office environment, you're um, socialising and uh, collaborating with colleagues, but you're also getting a great fun lunch something that they can really get behind and talk about um and that's transferring across boardrooms as well and the meeting rooms that we're doing as well um it's not just a start of working lunches anymore it's actually making an experience something people can collaborate over and uh, enjoy so the, the, the office environment has certainly massively changed everyone has seen that it's just how can we how can we elevate it further through the food that we're delivering people and also yeah. like are your competitors like someone bringing in lunch, someone not coming into the office and someone popping out to prep. I mean, is that kind of the the threats a little bit in terms of people not using you? I think, um, I mean, listen, uh, two takeaways that we've learned really quickly is if you had a bad culture in your office before COVID, it's going to be much harder to get people back into the mm. office. If you didn't like the people you were working with, why would you come back? In like Fred who sat next to you, you're not going to come back. So yeah, yeah. I think the one thing that we've had a big benefit with is if the client chose us, it's because they want to do something differently. They've had the, you know, they they are thinking slightly differently. They wanted to it to be a higher paced food service. So I think all of our clients have got a better culture than some's already. So I think it it has been easier to get people back. 
I think that the office needs to be a better place than it was before COVID. If you're now saying to people, you need to come back to the office to work because of cultural reasons and training and developing of young people, the office needs to be a better place. And I think we're well placed to deliver that. And I think that, as Robbie said, those experiences and the pop-ups mean it's a much more exciting place to be. And there's loads of other things that we're doing to, you know, get middle managers and directors to use catering as a tool to get people back in. So it might be mm. a, a monthly meeting followed by pasta making, for instance. So it's a reason to get back into the office. And catering is a relatively cheap way to do that. Yeah. I think that our threats have always been the high street. Um, we're not going to keep our people, you know, we're not going to keep our customers in the office every day of the week. And if the sun shines, we're, we're quieter because people want to get out there and, that, and that's fine. Um, what we need to do is make sure that our food offer is of the same standard as what they can get outside. And it needs to change. Like, the, mm. you know, I think one of the big things when I wanted to go into contract catering uh, originally was the offer never changed. It was always the same normally the same food on Fridays. Robbie said normally yeah. people have curry on a Wednesday. And the, one of the first things that we did was make sure that the offer changed much more regularly with brands that we can bring in to do pop-ups, like the relationship we've got with Neil Rankin and Bagel Bake and all these great people yeah. that can come in and make the offer completely different for a day and take over counters. And that works really well. So, I, yeah, I think our threats, I guess our big threats are that, you know, people that have come to the office don't feel like food is part of that journey. But I actually, you know, the reverse of that is, you know, my, my opinion is that people value it more, you know, cost of living crisis, all of our clients are subsidizing their food offer. Um, so I think that, you know, it, it's all about collisions that you wouldn't get on a Zoom call. Yeah. So if, if you've got, you know, people using a canteen, it's highly likely that, you know, the managing partner of a law firm will be queuing up for a coffee next to uh, someone that's just finished university and is on an intern, and they'll have a chat about how it's going. They would never do that on a Zoom call. And I yeah. think that that's where those communal places are really important. And, you know, our job is to make it the hub of the building. So, you know, that if you go there, you will see people from every level and the food has to reflect that as well. So, yeah. Yeah. More, as you say, more positive things happen when when people get together. You know, there's those all those elements of chance, and and it's things you just can't capture on a call. As you see, it's a certain look, it's a mannerism, it's a maybe a sound that you don't hear that someone breathing in, you yeah. know, too sharply at something, and it's just the thing that you won't you won't get, especially if it's a cast of thousands like the UN on your yeah. uh, Zoom call. You know, it's like oh my god, right. it's overwhelming. <laughs> A creative agency for the hospitality sector, Saved by Robots create compelling brands and memorable experiences through great design and engaging storytelling. From Scottish Restaurant of the Year Sugar Boat to Tip Jar, the digital tipping platform that's taken over the world, Saved by Robots excel at bringing ideas to life. As well as developing new concepts and refreshing existing brands, the robots provide outsourced graphic design to help multi-site operators grow with confidence. Check out their work and get in touch at savedbyrobots.com. Yeah. So, and then just going back to anxiety stuff. So, um, 
I can definitely um, empathise and sympathise with with all that. I think I had a, a doctor years ago said I was one handshake away from a breakdown. <laughs> so I think basically all creatives are. Um, and, you know, I, it's just getting harder and harder out there, isn't it? With the overwhelm of information and stress and, you know, what we've all just been through as well. But you channeled that brilliantly and you made such a positive out of that so what were the steps that you went through then to then do this crazy thing of crossing an ocean well if i start it because i think i get blamed that it was my idea <laughs> and robbie can give you his version of events so we as robbie said we had always done a london to paris bike ride um where it was multi-sector multi-company so when we'd done it in the past, we had people from CH and Co and Baxter Story. And, you know, the, I think the last one we did was over 100 riders. It was fantastic. And I think the one thing we took from that was that we work in the most fantastic sector with the most amazing support. So the first thing we wanted to do was do something that would encapsulate the spirit of hospitality. Why is it such a great industry to work with, uh, work within? And the support we knew that we would get from our competitors we knew would be fantastic and then secondly it was what do we do and we we thought we knew that to to make a meaningful dis difference to hospitality action with just two of us doing it it was going to have to be reasonably large um and also we we signed up just over two years ago so we were still in the middle of a pandemic um so we kind of needed to work something out that was going to be doable without public transport and everything else so we, were, we we decided it would be a really good idea to do london to paris but do it human powered uh the bit in the middle the english channel was where we were struggling to find a solution um and the first thing you google is ocean rowing boats mm -hmm. and maybe robbie you can take it from there <laughs> <laughs> um we've got a we've got a rowing boat as well haven't we we were going to yeah. try and fast this human-powered trip from London to Paris. Um, and then that kind of fell apart because there's so many variables in it. We actually spoke to Guinness World Records who were like, right, got this boat. There's other things we can do with this boat. And it was around December, it was around December that we were looking at it. And uh, the Task Whiskey Atlantic Challenge, which we eventually signed up to, was starting at that time. So we watched the start of the race and we followed this boat across a chap called Mark Slats was rowing it with uh, another guy called Kai and they set the world record in this boat. They did it in 32 days across the Atlantic. And uh, during the crossing, we were just like, that is mental. That looks absolutely crazy. If we were going to raise some money and do some significant fun for hospitality, actually, we need to do something big. So um, Chris, what was your idea? Because you said, let me ask Danielle what she thinks. And then My wife, Chris's. Chris's wife said, um, I think it's a brilliant idea. You should definitely do it, which probably wasn't the reaction that you were expecting. <laughs> please talk me out of it. <laughs> yeah. Get out, please get out of the house and go do something else, I think. <laughs> and uh, so we got we got the sign off. And, and back back then I didn't have any I didn't have any responsibilities. I was um I didn't have anyone to sign this decision off. So I was in from the very beginning, always wanted to do something crazy, maybe not roll across an ocean, but um, certainly that period of time when uh, we were both suffering mentally and trying to find something that we could focus on that wasn't 
that wasn't work. It came at the right time for us. So we signed up and the signing signing up process was incredibly easy. You had to mm. fill in a form and pay a very small deposit. And uh, it didn't quite replicate the magnitude of the um, challenge that we've just taken on. I think um, when we decided that we wanted to do it as well, we went out to our um, to our suppliers to say, is there any chance that you might support something like this that we would sign up? Mm. And uh, one of our suppliers came back immediately and said, 100%, you'll, we will absolutely back you whatever you need. And I think having that um, commitment of support, we were um, we were off. That was it. And then what's step one after that? So you've signed it off. It's a bit of a lark. You went for a pint after it maybe... And then it's like, oh, we've actually got to do this thing. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, where do you even start? Well, I can't remember that, Mark, to be honest. Really? <laughs> I think um, you need to get a boat. That, that's important. Yeah. So we, uh, we emailed the guy that had just got the world record. He built his own boat. Uh, and he emailed back two days after he got it off in Antigua and said, oh, I'm really sorry it's sold. Oh. Uh, so then we started talking to other boat builders. And about a week later, he... He called us and said, listen, it's fallen through. If you want to buy it, you can buy it, but you need to do it now. So we did. <clears throat> so we had a boat. And then th there's a lot. I mean, the, the thing is, it, it, we need to make sure it never interfered with work as well. It's been really hard. So I guess the, the main areas are the campaign, so sponsorship, um, making sure that we make the start line and that we make the money for hospitality action, which is obviously the goal. Mm -hmm. The second one was our physical makeup and making sure that we turned into rowers um from zero background we'd never right. rowed before so we had to learn to row and in that do safety courses and navigation courses which were actually really good fun i mean it was nice to learn something new yeah yeah, yeah. and then the third bit was to to kind of bring it all together and you know name it and launch it and and sort of go public with it which we took a while to do it was quite nice when it was only a few people that knew and then uh, as soon as we went out to the wider industry it became much more real actually but it's lots of training i mean we're, we're both up you know five o'clock in the morning into the gym you know hour and a half in the gym we're really lucky that we have a gym in our office it's, it's not all our office we, yeah. we share an office and there's a gym there so we're in the gym we're at work for eight so it's very early early days and then um get it done get out get to work and then the rowing has been you know that that's taken a lot of time so that's a lot of weekends um and it's grueling i mean it's it's just a really hard thing to find the time to do you know towing boats around and um trying to sleep in boats we often yeah. joke it's the worst caravan holiday you could ever go on <laughs> tow this boat around the uk and um yeah, it's not very glamorous, to be fair. And what's the target then? Um, Target's 250 grand uh -huh. hospitality action. That, that's the target. And then, you know, they, they can do so much with that. And I think, you know, COVID was the reason we did it. But now with the cost of living crisis continuing to whir on, interest rates going up. I mean, it's bloody awful for, for a lot of people. And I think that, the goal for us is to make sure that the talent stays within the industry. That's has to be an industry wide um, concern that if we don't look after our people, they will go into other sectors where they're able to, you know, 
be paid more, have more career opportunities, better hours, everything else. So for us, hospitality action have a really important role to play in making sure that if people can't afford to pay their mortgage, pay their electricity bill, buy the kids new shoes, they're going to make a choice. Mm. Uh, hospitality Action are able to support those people with grants and bursaries and you know mental health support. And that, again, is another reason that people would stay in the industry because we have such a good benevolent charity. So the goal is 250K. The overarching goal is to make sure that with that 250K, we can help people stay in the hospitality industry and achieve what we have, which, you know, I my background was, you know, didn't go to university, worked my way through, started at McDonald's, um, which I loved, and then, you know, worked my way through hospitality industry to, to be the CEO of this business. And if I can do it and Robbie can have a really successful career anyone can do it and yeah. what i love about this sector is there's literally zero barriers to entry that anyone can move into this industry you don't need to have you know qualifications training on the job's fantastic and the opportunities are endless and so that's that's the goal really is to make sure that number one we're giving back but more importantly great people stay in the sector and when they do hit a bump in the road there is enough funds to support those people so that they stay in the sector and continue to develop themselves. And what's the target in terms of getting across the ocean? Safely. Uh-huh. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, yeah, safely for sure. Yeah, safely and still being friends at the end of it. <laughs> um, I think in terms of a time goal, it's so hard to say because we're very much dictated by the wind conditions, the wave conditions, mm. uh, tides that are out there. Um, something could go on wrong with the boat and it could lose us a day. So we're, we're kind of a little bit, we, we don't want to put necessarily a time on it. Looking at years previously, I would say that we will finish anywhere between 40 and 50 days. I think anywhere under 40 days will be incredibly happy. Anything over 50 days and it's going to start getting... And how does that work with work then? Are you sort of effectively taking a sabbatical or how, how does that work? Well, one of the reasons that it does work is that we are leaving on the 12th of December and we should return at the end of January. And our sector is notoriously quiet in that time. I mean, you know, we, we are in office blocks where people go on holidays. You know, it, it is the quietest time of the year for us, August and I would say Christmas, two two weeks of it, our whole business is pretty much shut. So mm-hmm. the timing works. Um, but yeah, it, you know, we've got, there's there's a, so many great people in our business that, you know, we, we're taking sabbatical, but then it's quite nice for them not to have me buzzing around, I expect. <laughs> yeah, they'll be hoping for bad wins. Um, yeah. And then where, where do you leave from and where do you end up? We leave from Lagomera, which is in the Canary Islands, a small island in the Canary Islands, just off Tenerife. Mm. And then it's uh, 3,000 miles across the mid-Atlantic, um, past Cape Verde, to, and then towards Antigua, finishing in a place called uh, English Harbour in Antigua. And so the weather shouldn't be too... Well, well, no, it shouldn't be. We go at that time of the year because the trade winds are the strongest right. and are going well they're meant to be going in the right direction mm-hmm. um i think last two years ago they had um an incredibly quiet year it was there was no wind the sea was incredibly flat it was like rowing on a mirror it was just no wow. conditions whatsoever 
which in itself sounds amazing, but you need the conditions, you need the wind to help the speed of the boat, you need the waves to start down to increase the speed. So it was a slow year. Um, I think in 2017, they had an incredibly difficult year where it was incredibly strong winds, and not just that, they had head-on winds as well. Um, I think they, I think, I don't remember how many now, but eight or nine boats capsized that year. Right. I think four or five boats didn't manage to finish the race. Um, I think some records were set that year. I think the fastest boat was about 30 days because of just how strong the wind was. Mm. But they saw they saw 30-foot waves that year. Um, and I, I think we will probably experience something in between. Yeah. Wow. So what can we all do? So everyone listening, what's the best ways that we can support you both? Chris, do you want to take that one? Yeah, sure. So there's follow us on Instagram. So spirit underscore of underscore hospitality. That is really helping. So the more people that follow us on Instagram, the more likely we are to bring on bigger sponsors because they're obviously getting a much bigger audience. Um, when you follow us on Instagram, there's a link in our bio, which is to our just giving. So, you know, anyone that could just give a pound, two pounds, five pounds, whatever it is, that's all going back to hospitality people. So that, that's a massive one. And we also have lots of space on our boat for more corporate sponsors. So if someone wants to get the logo on our boat, uh, we'd love to talk to you about that. So they're the three ways. Um, We've done so. I mean, we're, I think we've raised about one hundred and thirty nine, hundred and forty thousand pounds. That's gone directly to the charity so far. So we're doing really well. Yeah. Um, we just need to get that final push to get us up to our two fifty target, and we'd love to. We'd love to surpass that. It'd be amazing. Amazing. Well, if everyone listening gave a tenner, yeah, that would that would do you. <laughs> I think it's a master, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, well that that sounds fantastic. We'll definitely all get behind that. Um, so what is before we do some fun questions? I know you need to go, uh, Chris. So what's next then? I know you probably are not thinking too much after it, but is there a kernel of an idea about what might how you might carry the spirit on? Uh, yes, absolutely. Um, we're in conversation at the moment with uh, Hospitality Action to turn the spirit of hospitality into a bit of a brand. Wow. And then use that brand to promote people that are doing challenges for Hospitality Action. So it could be marathons, ultramarathons, cycles, walks, whatever it might be. Um, and use the knowledge that Chris and I have built up building this campaign use the supporters, um, introduce them to people that they think that might find it useful or might be able to support and use it to further promote people, fundraising, helping hospitality, action. Brilliant. That sounds great. I mean, it's exactly the right thing to do. I mean, you've built up so much goodwill and awareness so quickly about this and you know it just works you know when, when when you hear the name you know you can see why it would be such a strong brand going forward I think it's just fantastic so some fun stuff then so 
We've got this wee section, mark out a 10. It isn't really marks out a 10, but it's just a chance to see what your favourite things are. So, favourite city to eat in? We'll go quick fire. Robbie? Um, for Paris. Very good. Really? London? Okay. The only problem with Paris is you can only get French food, really. But yeah, London or New York. There's, there's, this is a safe space. There's no bad ideas. <laughs> it's okay oh, to see oh, Paris from here. Thank God you're not rowing to Paris again, or you'll be getting lynched. We had at the end of the last bike ride in Paris was unbelievable. <laughs> okay, um, favorite yeah. restaurants, Chris. Favorite restaurant? It's so hard. I think the Savoy is just brilliant. Mm-hmm. There you go. Good. Robbie? Um, Darby's in Nine Elms. Mm. Robin Girl, brilliant. Good That's show. incredible. Um, I bet you're going to get out to your favourite dish. I'll give it one of them. Well, let's do that then. So, favourite dish? It, it does a bone, marrow pie, a bone marrow pie in Darby's and it is spectacular. We also do these... Um, Potatoes sliced down really thinly in squares. Oh, deep fried up. Amazing. Well, well worth the trip. A little bit random place in London, Nine Elms. Get there to uh, to Vauxhall. It's well worth the trip. It's amazing. Nice. And what about you, Chris? It's got to be my mum's roast, I think. Oh! <laughs> my mum's roast. It's just a classic. But if not, something from Quality Chop House, maybe. They do those like, potatoes, deep fried, lovely Darby. lad. Oh, delicious. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can you can discuss it on the boat. Yeah, don't don't fall out. Don't fall out. Um, and then uh favorite drink. Can I say pint of tennis? Yes, you can, and I would agree yeah, with you. I was gonna say something like old fashioned, but then I've, I've gone against that. I think it has to be a classic pint of tennis. It's been a long time. No, well, yeah, Mine's I mean, be. it gets su- it, it's such a bad name, Tenants, you know, <laughs> it's actually really good. Sorry, Chris. I'm trying, to, I'm trying to change the subject, guys. You're embarrassing yourself. No, <laughs> um, mine's got to be Coke Zero. That is my favourite drink. Yeah, interesting. Agree. Agree. Well, do you know, I put up a Twitter post ages ago about why um, it was the Coke I thought was the best drink ever invented, and I got shot down a bit because people were saying beer because of medicinal purposes and all these things but you've got to say there's there's kind of nothing like it still love it that'll be first drink off the boat for me yeah it'll be a really cold coke zero mark if you can sort out a pint of tenants for me when we go <laughs> <laughs> i will do my bit could you not just drag it behind you yeah, it's like we could just tie it on yeah we are we keg going what well, the problem is tenants everyone thinks you know, sort of, you know, someone lying on a bench and, you know, fighting and all the rest of it. And just normal 4% tenants is just one of the, it's mother's milk to us. I mean, it'll probably be disgusting for Chris, but we think it's the best thing in the world. Um, So, yeah. And it, favourite hotel? Oh, it's not the, it's not the fanciest hotel, but I love Citizen M. We used to work yes. with them. And it's just so clever. Love yeah. it. Never a problem. Easy check-in. Great rooms. Love it. Funny, funny uh, writing, you know, copywriting yeah, as well. I, I think it says in the lift, 
you know, go ahead and have a cigarette, but it'll be the most expensive cigarette you've ever yeah. had. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. in the lift. You know, it's like 150 Great. quid. <laughs> Great brand. Really good. Over funny. Rovi? Um, again, not a fancy hotel, but I, I always stay in the Graff Market Hotel when I go back up to Edinburgh and uh, stay there during the festival. So I've always got really good memories of staying there. So, yeah. Nice. Favourite coffee shop? So easy. Jack, mental health coffee shop in Whitechapel. It's ours and it's brilliant. It's all about uh, opening the conversation around mental health um, yeah. and in partnership with Jack. So, yeah, easy one for me. Nice. Robbie? Oh, God. yeah, absolutely. I have to say the same. Uh, if it wasn't linked to you, was there any other ones that you love? Well, I don't drink coffee. Oh. I do. I don't know. I, I, um, I am a big fan of coffee. It's so hard. I like cafe. I like um, Caravan is really good. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I, I, li I like, um, I haven't got, Jack is definitely my favourite. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Good. See you again. Old Spike Coffee. They've got a yeah. couple of high street. Gentleman nice. Baristas, they're pretty good. Very cool. Gentleman Baristas in Borough Market. Very cool. And then favourite pub or bar? Oh, I've got so many. <laughs> I used to work in a bar called Footlights in um in the Grass Market in Edinburgh, mm -hmm. and that was always good fun. Um, but down down here when I first and then when I first moved down to London, I lived in Finsbury Park, and there is a pub there called um, the Faltering Fullback, uh -huh. which is sensational. Really good fun. Lots of good memories there. Nice. I've got two. I've got two favourites, and they're both run by my good friend John Nugent. So Rotunda in King's Place, in um, King's Cross, and then Daffodil yeah. Mulligan's right by our office in Old Street. Had some yeah. very good times there. Yeah, oh, and John, you know, shout out to John as well. He's just the loveliest yeah, man ever. Well, he is the spirit of hospitality. That man. Yeah, oh, he's yeah. phenomenal. I love, I love spending time with him. Yeah. Cool. And then, what's next for you guys and in, in genuine as well? Just before we let you go, what what's on the agenda apart from the role? Do you know what we 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 build business that needs to grow to sustain our people, as we've mentioned a few times. So, for us, it's to continue to grow at the right rate. To look after our people and retain our talent. That's our, you know, best people, serving the best food, having the most fun. And that that's us. That's what we want to keep doing. Fantastic. Robbie. Yeah, growing the business, winning new business, finding new opportunities for people, pushing them into it. We just released our um, next quarter's training and development plans. And on there there is things like uh, brewery tours. So mm. if we can keep doing that and keep having fun, then yeah. that's what it's all about. Are you going on that one, Robbie? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Research. My name is Tom Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, I'll love you and leave you. Thank you so much for spending time with us, and thanks for telling us all about, uh, obviously, your great careers, genuine dining, and the group of companies. But also, more importantly, uh, we need everyone to get behind Spirit of Hospitality and be wishing you well. How will we be updated also on your journey? Is it is someone going to be Sort of updating on social, are you going to be able to get any kind of contact going? Does there a Santa tracker? What's what's happening? Yeah, both um, Instagram is the place for, to follow us. We will be sending back videos of our horrific pain from the ocean so you can see how we're getting on. And uh, there's also a tracker on the boat. If you download an app called YB Races, you can track our progress. Okay, I'll put that in the notes as well. 
Okay, well, gentlemen, we all wish you well. The entire industry and more is behind you. So all crossed for it. What you're doing is superhuman and just above and beyond what anyone could ask of anyone in hospitality. So from all of us, if I can speak in behalf of hospitality, thanks so much for doing this. It's just going to help so many people. And in your darkest moments, hopefully you can remember that, that you're just doing the kindest um most beneficial thing that you could possibly be doing. So thank you from all of us. Thank you, Mark. Thanks so much for having us on. It's been uh, it's been brilliant, and um, everything that you do is fantastic as well. So thank you so much. No, oh, real pleasure. Yeah, I've got nothing else to do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, bless you. Thanks so much. Cheers. Take care, and I'll see you soon. Cheers. Bye. Bye. Cheers. So there we go. That was Chris and Robbie from Genuine Dining Co. and the group of companies, the Genuine Group of Companies, but both also known as the Spirit of Hospitality. We really just wish them well in their adventure. We hope they get across safely. We hope they raise the money that they want to raise. We hope that they also have the adventure of a lifetime. And once they get to the other side, safe and home and dry, then there'll be much celebrations and you can also go into their Instagram channel, Spirit of Hospitality, and you'll be able to track their journey and wish them well along the way. Good luck, lads. You'll also be able to donate by going to the Spirit of Hospitality Instagram page. Click the link in the bio and you will be able to get to their Just Giving page to give personally or... If you fancy seeing your logo on the Spirit of Hospitality vessel, then you can also chat to the guys about corporate sponsorship. This podcast is sponsored by Vita Mojo, the all-in-one restaurant management platform helping operators grow ATV, reduce tech complexity, and serve guests better. Just visit vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic and get in touch with the team right away. That's vitamojo.com forward slash supersonic. So this is me, Mark McSee, signing off for another podcast, and I'm really looking forward to the next time we're together. Next time, we'll hear from many, many more interesting people with top tips, tricks, and tales that will make your brand boom.